All right. So Psalm 63, I'm not going to review any of the stuff we talked about before because way too much that we're going to be able to, we're actually going to have to cut a lot of stuff out that even I want to talk about. And I'd only scratch the surface with the stuff I had in my notes. So um, we're just going to go right into it. And, and uh, we've been talking about how worship is a response. Um, essentially, first of all, biggest, most at its core, a response to Almighty God. You know, and so some days there's the beauty of God that you respond to. Yesterday, hopefully, we are reminded of the power of God, the strength of God. You know, we as mankind think we can do a lot of stuff and we can build up a lot of things. But who can stop that? Literally, who can even predict that? You know, it wasn't like this was a big, you know, hey, this is coming, everybody. It was, here it is, take shelter now, because we just found out this is going on. So, you know, even for us who we think we're very smart, we're very advanced, we're very technological, God's power is infinitely more than anything man can scheme, imagine, think up, do, just infinitely more. And so that, that's a great reminder of that. So response. And we talked about how it is a response to truth. It's a response to what God does. We looked at Moses and Miriam having a song after the parting of the Red Sea and uh, the salvation of Israel through the 10 plagues. And it is a response to what God has done. Um, we want to look a little bit tonight at what kind of responses. So as we read Psalm 63, somebody can read this out for me. Um, I just want you to look at the emotion that is a part of worship, okay? And look for the words in here that speak to emotion uh, as a part of our worship. So would somebody read Psalm 63 for me? Anybody have that? Tony, read that for me. Okay, so powerful song, a song that they sang regularly as a song of praise to God. Now, as you look at that, this is one of the Psalms that just to me is a, a wide open look into the emotion of worship. What kind of words do you see there? What kind of descriptions or pictures do you see there that talk about emotions in worship? Give me some of what you see. Yeah. Yes. So you have a, I mean, there's a physical hunger experience of thirsting for something, but he describes the emotion of longing for God, of being desperate for God as a thirst of his soul. And, and that, that's more than just, I need you, God. Like, you know what I mean? Poetically, it gives you a wider view of, so there's truth and we respond to truth. We respond to the reality of who God is. But as humans, God made us with emotions. And one of those emotions, one of the ways we describe that is my soul thirsts for you. Um, And I think for me, as I read that emotional word, 
what I th- think about is how many thirsty souls we bump into every single day who are looking to find satisfaction for that thirst in their soul lots of other ways, right? We call it a lot of different things. We, we have a lot of fancy names for thirsty soul. But I like how David strips it down to the bare bones of it, which is my soul thirsts for you. That's what's making my soul dry up. That's what makes my soul you know, dehydrated and famished is you. I, I want you. I, I need you like a body needs water. Right? What other emotional words do you see in there? Somebody else, give me a picture. Hmm. Wow, that's a, I mean, that's a pretty strong statement. Your love is better than life. There's a sense of desire there. I desire your love more than I desire my own life. Like, where are we with that? Would, would not being able to worship God regularly, which is the implication here, you know, I want to come all the time and give you praise. Would not being able to give God worship, would being, be being stopped from coming out together collectively, because this is a hymn of collection. Would that feel like I would rather lose my life than be disconnected from the feeling, the, the expression of desiring your love? You know what I'm saying? That's pretty powerful. That's challenging. And there's a real passion behind that that a lot of times for us can fall flat, you know, because we desire a lot of things and God is one of many desires or hopefully he's one of many desires, but maybe not even. Maybe God is just somebody you go to when life breaks down and life is rough. But David says, your love is better than life. Wow. What other emotional words you see? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because it's kind of like the only response I have in the shadow of your wings is song. It's it's just come bursting out of me because I'm under your wings. And I know your protection. I know that the picture of his wings over us is he's watching over. He's caretaking for us. I'm under the shadow of your wings. And so as I recognize that, it causes joy and and song to just bubble up out of me. Right? Very emotional kind of stuff. What else? You see anything else? Tom. I lift my hands. Now... You know, for me, I grew up in in very uh, conservative religious background, and so lifting up your hands was you don't do that. That's you know that's for show. You don't you don't do this kind of stuff, right? But unfortunately, the Bible for that position, the Bible talks about it a lot, and the idea is not to put on a show. The idea is, and I don't know how it is natural for you, but for me, obviously, I talk with my hands. So as I express praise to God, one of the natural things for me to do is to to bring my hands up. Lord, you are, he's saying, you know, you are my shield, you are my portion, you my deliverer, you, you are, you know? And so there's a, there's a sense of my physical response being part of my emotional response. And so lifting up my hands is, is a powerful symbol of that. Tom. 
sacrifice, the evening sacrifice was the most important sacrifice of the day, and that was the one that Elijah did on Mount Carmel. Yeah. Yeah. Is when God sent down the fire. And that's what it says in the scriptures, and lifting up my hands is like the evening sacrifice. Yeah. What what like picture wise, because it's that's not as much emotion as as what is but it's right here. So what what we what do we do when we lift our hands up? What's what does that surrender. there's a surrender, right? There's some of it is surrender. Right? That that's one picture of, that we would say I'm yours. And, and there are songs we sing that talk about that surrender. All that I have is yours, and, and all that I am is yours. Father, take me. Do whatever you want with me. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Everything I am for your kingdom's God. We sing songs like that that are songs of surrender. And so lifting up my hands, there is a sp- sense of surrender. What other things does this signify? Looking up. Like, in other words, I can do it with just my head, but if I do it with my hands as well, there is a sense of looking up of directing my, my thoughts and my energies towards the Lord. Yeah, I'm not this. I'm open before the Lord, ready to receive. You lift up your hand to receive from someone. You know, if you're, somebody's passing something down to you, you're putting your hands up. And so there is a sense in, in worship of we are receiving from God. There's also a sense of giving in that, right? I am giving God praise. I'm pouring it out this direction. This is the way I want it to go before the Lord. And so our bodies can express what's happening in us emotionally, both in singing, with our hands being lifted up. Anything else you see in that psalm that just jumps out at you? Lorraine. Satisfied. Yes. Yeah. That's a very, I mean, it's a different emotion than like this, you know, excited exclamation of joy, but it's a deep um, uh, statement. My soul not my stomach or my, you know, my rest. or My soul will be satisfied in you. That's powerful. How satisfied is your soul in God? And in one sense, what David's expressing here or, or being an example of is, in worship, I am reminded that the satisfaction of my soul is in my God alone. Oh God, you are my God. And so I seek you earnestly, passionately, desperately, sincerely, without any, anything else going on. It's what I want. I want you. I want you alone. Earnestly, I search for you. I pursue you, even though what we know is God's pursuing us. But there is a, there's an emotion of coming after him. Because why? Because you satisfied. My soul will be satisfied. Wow. Good. All right, anything else before we move on? Just... Just throwing us into the, the book of Psalms, the inspired praises to God to kind of see what's there and maybe what that means for us. Anything else in there? Do I? Meditation. Running. We, what, what do we do when we meditate today? What kind of meditating do we do naturally? We don't call it meditating, but what, what, what is meditation? What, what literally do you do when you meditate? You run it through your mind again and again and again. You, you turn it around. You, you look at it from a different angle. And then you start back at the beginning. Meditation. What kind of stuff do we do naturally that we would call, that would come under the category of meditation? Worry. Worry. 
stress, right? Conflict, those kind of things. That naturally, we default to a negative meditation in those times. Because isn't that what happens? You lay lay on your bed at night and you twist it back around in your mind, twist it back around in your mind and start back over again. And what's the opportunity here? I'm not going to run that through my head. If I find something running through my head that isn't of God, let's put that aside and let's meditate on Him. Let's meditate on His Word. Let's rehearse His Word, His promise, His truth, His person again and again and again inside of me so that my soul can be satisfied, so that I'm not at unrest inside of me. Really cool stuff. And that's part of why the songs that we sing have repetition in them. Thanks, sweet. Um, They have themes to them. Uh, when Dana puts together the stuff that we uh, programmatically do in worship, a lot of times if you're kind of like paying attention song to song, what you'll notice is there's a connection. There's thematic connection between them. And they are bringing our hearts to a specific focus of what maybe the, the Spirit has led for us in, in need today to be reminded of or to be declaring about God to our souls and to the souls of one another so that God's name will be great and so that we can hold on to the truth of God's word. Yeah, thirst, my soul longs for you, um, clings to you, my redeemer. Uh, verse eight, my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. That's, these, are, these are words of um, convincedness, words of desperation, words of dramatic need. My soul clings to you. I won't let you go. I desire you and I am convinced that without you I am hopeless and helpless. That emotion is part of worship. So emotion is worship. True? Worship is emotion. True? Some of worship includes emotion, but is, is emotion the substance of worship? In other words, it's a byproduct, isn't it? In other words, when I actually am giving God praise and making Him great and exalting His name and reminding everybody and myself of the promises of God, there is a natural tendency, humanly speaking, for an open soul to respond emotionally, right? So under the shadow of your wings, I will sing. And there's lots of psalms. I sing for joy at the work of your hands. Lots of psalms that talk about emotional response to worship. But emotion is not worship. It is a byproduct of worship. A lot of times what people do, because emotion is enjoyable, emotion is powerful, and emotion can at times feel more real than the real that brings the emotion. So we seek an emotional experience instead of the cause of the emotion. I talk to people sometimes in marriage who are convinced by our society today that love is essentially a feeling, an emotion. And so if I don't feel it for this person anymore, I talked to somebody a week and a half ago in my office. And they said, I love this person, but I'm not in love with them anymore, and uh, their spouse. And I said, explain to me what you mean by that. Well, you know, I care about what happens to them or whatever, but I don't feel anything for them. And that is a, we're going to wind up getting divorced 
No, duh. That's what happens when you're not in love with anybody anymore. See? Love, we are convinced at many times, is a feeling. Instead of recognizing that love, the way the Bible has described it, the way that God has displayed it, is something that produces feelings. That feelings are a byproduct of love. And love requires the same thing as worship. It requires focus. It requires sifting away other things. You know, if you're, uh, if someone has a, a competing passion in their life, something that they are, uh, they are really enjoying and devoting time and focus and attention to, it is going to be difficult for you to, to feel like you love what you loved before when you've replaced it in your passions with something else. It's a natural human reaction. But if I will go back and fix my attention and my focus and my passion on the person, that, that, then, then emotions follow that, right? In worship, we are not seeking emotion. God graciously has made us to experience it, but I do not determine a good worship experience by whether or not emotion has arrived or not. As a matter of fact, as you read through the book of Psalms, there are a lot of negative emotional experiences that begin the worship time. I'm, I'm miserable or I'm afraid, I'm in darkness, I'm threatened, and so I come to you in the darkness, right? And, and remind myself of the truth. So emotion is a wonderful thing that is, I would say, regular and normal as a response, as a, as a byproduct of worship, but it is not the substance of worship. And so it's not as ex- important if you are excited or about a particular song or if it makes you feel something that's all great. And when that happens, be thankful. But worship is about ascribing glory to God. It's about lifting up his name and making his name great. And that, that it, the, the fact that God is so good that he makes that also benefit me is wonderful. But worship proper is not about what it does for me. It's about pouring out praise before him. Right? All right. Psalm 84. Let's just turn over there. I just want to show you another psalm before I move on to another thought. Um, kind of gives me the same feel on this. Uh, again, very, very passionate words. Uh, Psalm 84 says this, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young. A place near your altar, O, o Lord Almighty my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Do you see passion there? You know, like my soul faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out. What's he saying? If I were going to translate that into plain English, what's he saying? Right, but what are they crying out for? To be where? Where's the courts of the Lord? You're sitting in it. Worshiping together in places of gathering of worship. That is, in the temple court, that's what he's talking about. I long to be the place where where that place is designated as, when we get together here, we're going to give you praise. And I long to be there. And so he goes and he looks up and he says, even the sparrow has found a home. Even though that bird up there that built a nest in your courts, they want to be here all the time, so they made their home here. I envy that bird because they're here all the time. You see what, see what he's doing? He's like, man, I wish I was like that. I wish I could just live here. 
and I, and I would be just all around the, the, the focus and the worship on God all the time. Um, go down with me to verse 10. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Wow. Better is one day here than a thousand elsewhere. See, do you see what's missing in our Christianity today? When we talk about passion for the Lord, we're like, you know, I went to church on Sunday. I got to come back for something? Oh, man. Like, there, where's the passion? Where, are, where is God's people convinced that better is it to be one day in your house than a thousand somewhere else? The enemy's done a great job at distracting us, at, at counterfeiting joys other places. He goes on and says, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. No good thing does he withhold. Do we serve a good God? If you don't have it, it's not because God withheld something good from you. Huh. Could it be that what I think would be good maybe isn't good? That God may know better than I do? That God's goodness is big enough to even make me disappointed because ultimately it will be for the, the right and the good? Absolutely. Oh, Lord Almighty, blessed is the man who trusts in you. And so there is emotion that is a normal part of worship. Uh, if it isn't a part of your worship yet, I would invite you to open yourself up. Some of us have backgrounds that make us, you know, walled off to it, you know. Uh, you might be going through some things in your life right now that have, have worn you out and numbed you down. And, and, and there are seasons like that where we are only human and there is some of us that is limited in that. But I would invite you to walk forward into an openness to start experiencing the byproduct of natural worship, of, of what actually normally happens inside of people when you are convinced that you are safe in his hands that there is no place better to be, that it is the greatest privilege in all of history to come together and sing praise to a God who is worthy of praise, a God who is alive, a God who withholds no good thing from those who walk after Him. Like, there's a natural response. And I would invite you to walk into that, you know, and to, to not be afraid of it and, and scared of it, to walk into it. And to, to lift up hands in praise and lift up voice in praise. And, you know, if, it, if tears come, they come. You know, if you're overwhelmed with how good God is, good, we should be. You know, that should be a normal thing for us. And sometimes I can forget because life gets all, you know, chaotic. But I come together in the house of God and we sing some songs that reach down inside my soul about truths about God. And I don't know if this ever happened to you, but I walk out of here singing that song in my head. And I'm you know, driving down the road and it's going through my head and I'm walking around in the store and it's going through my head and it's the truth of God being rehearsed and rehearsed and my soul focusing and fixating on the truth and then that brings peace and satisfaction to my soul in a way that nothing else does. That's meditation. I can meditate with music. Songs that sing the truth of God's word. So we don't have to be all creepy, weird about, you know, transcendental and other states. We can just fix our minds on the truth. You know, the, the Eastern religions did not come up with meditation. You read about it in Psalm 1, you know, 
Day and night, I think about you. Your word is in my heart, is in my thoughts. And it's like a tree planted by rivers of water. I take drinks from it all the time. It's just a natural, regular process, feeding my very soul. All right, so uh, emotion is part of worship. Um, Worship is, like I said before, not what I get in worship, but what I give in worship. And so what are some of the ways that we give in worship? How do we give in worship? Think about it with me. What are some ways that we give in worship? Yes, yes. Um, this is not a natural thought process. And we as a church serve a lot of people who are new in their faith, very wounded in their faith. And so this is not stone throwing, but, but recognize this. You do not develop a, a passionate relationship with God when you crest some hump and you finally get past all of the busy in life. People who come out who have a deep and abiding relationship with God don't have it because they don't have anything else to do on Sunday morning. There's nothing else they could do with their time. I guess we'll just, I don't know, I guess we'll just go to church. They, people decide to set aside other things they could be doing that could make their life simpler and easier and straightforward and check things off their list and stop people from ranting at them or make more money or whatever. And they say, no, I'm going to the house of God today to worship. And there is sacrifice in that. There is giving to God. By being present, you are setting aside some self-serving agendas and you are giving to a God-giving agenda. And there is a powerful thing in that as an expression of worship. It's undercurrent and we might miss it, but God doesn't miss it and your soul won't miss it if you're willing to come and give your time that could be given to other pursuits that might benefit your life to this pursuit, the pursuit of God. Good. What else do we do in giving in worship? Hard to get past how much we receive sometimes. With you totally, Ken. It's hard to get past the idea that we receive so much in worship. How could we give anything more than we get? Totally with you. However, worship is in and of itself primarily a giving experience, right? So what? whether I get more back or not, what do I give? What am I giving to God in worship. Honor. Not to me, to Him. And that's where, when you talk about music and singing and expression, that's where it gets dicey sometimes. Because what I want in my worship is for God, for people's attention to be focused on God. I've said this before. If people walk out of this church and think, wow, that was a really great church, we missed the mark. If they walk out of the church and they go, wow, that that speaker was really good or that worship team was really good today, we missed the mark. I'm thankful for that. But what we're trying to hit is they walk out of this church and say, isn't God great? What a savior we serve. I, You know what? I don't know why I ever thought that Jesus wouldn't come through for me. I am going to trust him. I'm going to live for him. I'm not going to let my faith be shaken. That's what we're shooting for, for when people walk out of this church, for them to be impressed with how great God is. 
right? And so we're giving honor to God. And so I don't want people, even though I'm going to express worship, I don't want people looking at me. I want people to, to know Him. You know, and so there's cultural things. I think if we were in another country or on another continent or whatever, the way that we express worship might be distracting to them, either because it's too little or because it's too much. But we're in this culture and this context. And so we have to be genuine about we want people to see God, not us. So when we get up here on Sunday morning worship team, we don't generally have somebody, you know, taking the mic, walking across the stage and and doing like the, the rock star solo thing. That's not, that's not, we're not like, look at me, look at me, look at me. We're like, come on, let's go together and do this. And so their job is to lift him up. Their job is to be worshiping him so clearly, so earnestly, so powerfully that we just fall in line with it and we just add to what they're lifting up and, and all of us collectively lift up the name of the Lord, right? Yeah. 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 Probably in a deeper way than we understand, Rudy. You know, we're not working on Sunday morning is a sacrifice that we're not acquainted with. You know? Good. Scott. Yes. Yes. Me. Here I am again, Lord. You mean I can't just surrender to him once and that's the end of it? That doesn't work very well, does it? Because human beings were like, God, you're in charge. No, wait a minute. I'm going to go. No, you're in charge. Like we have to come back and refresh that commitment. You know, it's kind of what I say sometimes about forgiveness. Forgiveness is often a declaration of intent more than it is a, you know, it's done. Because people, I forgive you, but what that means is I'm committing to every morning when I wake up and what you did that wounded me is hurtful again, I'm going to let it go again. I'm not going to hold on to it. I'm going to let it go because I'm going to be forgiving you as, as this thing heals. I'm going to be letting it go and, and refusing to let it take hold of my mind. It's a declaration. And so is surrender. Surrender is a declaration of intent. Lord, I'm yours, but I got to come back and kind of refresh that again and again and again. Lord, I'm no, I'm yours because I thought I gave him everything, but turns out this week, God showed a way to expose the fact that I'm holding on to something that I don't want him to have or I don't like what he's doing with it and I, I want the say in that thing and then God brings me back and says, no, no, remember, surrender. We're going to surrender. We're going to let that go. Yeah, yeah, okay, we're going to let it go. Good. Yeah. Mark, you, you've talked about it over the years about uh, seating. Mm-hmm. Always over the same seat. Move yeah. Yeah. Singing coming out of her 
Yep. Mm-hmm. And some people are, you know, they're, they're a little embarrassed because their voice may not sure. be the greatest. You know, I, you know, may I never get embarrassed with anything. <laughs> but it's so rewarding to hear her singing as loud as she was singing. Yeah. And you're giving of herself to the Lord. It was, mm-hmm. It's pretty incredible. I think yeah. everybody should experience that and move around a little bit more. Yeah. You know, just get out of the norm. Giving up your right to be in a funk giving up your right to be comfortable, giving up your right to feel dignified, giving up, you know? I mean, there's a lot of giving that comes when we come to worship. I mean, we give money, which for some people is the hardest thing, giving money, but that we give us. And that means I've taken the, the title of my life and put Jesus there and it's yours. You, you show me what to do. So if I wind up sitting in a place that is not my normal place or I wind up singing and somebody might think I'm weird, like, do you think in heaven we're going to be like, oh, I don't want anybody to hear me? But you know why? Because we're not going to be so concerned about them as we are about him. I want him to hear me. Like that will be the natural response of our heart. For some reason that's clouded out for us in this world because it's not right in front of our face. All right, let's keep going. Um, lots of different types of responses of worship. Um, physical, spiritual responses. Um, I would say... Take some time and look at Psalm 100, Psalm 95. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His, the sheep of His pasture. You know, we are His. We belong to Him. So come, let us worship and bow down. You know, uh, Psalm 149, Psalm 150. Uh, there's dancing. There's singing new songs. There's banging the tambourine. Uh, singing on their beds at night. There's trumpets and harps and strings and pipes and a loud crashing of cymbals, and it's basically grab whatever you got and lift up praise to God. Do everything you can to make Him known, right? So there's lots of ways to respond to the Lord. Um, second thing uh, that we were going to talk about is that how worship is not just responding to God, but is reflecting God. And that kind of goes with some of how we've been talking that we want people to see him, we want him to be known in this world. And so as we worship, how we worship says a lot to one another and to our world about what we think about God. And I don't know, the Spirit has to really be in charge of this when we talk about this, because we can get very judgmental with other people. I've had people before come up to me and say, well, that person who supposedly is so spiritual, they don't even sing in worship. You know, they just sit there and they look blank. Maybe their mom just died. Maybe God is fighting a battle inside of them that we know nothing about. Like, in other words, I don't know that it's my job to look at someone else and say, this is what you should do. What's wrong with you? You're not worshiping well enough, right? At the same time as your pastor, what I invite you to is to reflecting the greatness of God. And I've said to people, you know, when someone comes in who doesn't know the Lord and they watch you worship, what do they think you think about God? Do you know what I mean? What do they, what's the impression they get about God? Like, I've been in the, the groups before where you're talking with, you know, we go to a party or something like that, and, and the men are over here and the women are over there, and, and around the, the circle of men comes up the topic of wives, and some guys love to say things about their, you know, the old ball and chain, and she, you know, I don't want to let her know about this. And, uh, you know, I had one friend who kept 
money in his wallet in a, in a special spot in his wallet because he didn't want his wife to know about it. You know, and don't tell my wife. And that kind of, like, what's, what's the impression that you're giving me by what you're saying about your view of your wife and marriage? You're giving an impression, right? So when people come in, they come in because this is a church. It's not like this is a secret. This is a church. So they come in, they expect to see people of God, and they're going to look at you and go, so what is this? There's some people that come in from other churches and they're going to judge you about whether they think we're good enough or not. Whatever. That's, that's not the point. My point is, if someone doesn't know God and they sat next to you in the service, what do they think about God after the service is over? Are you, while I'm talking up there, and I completely understand it, but while I'm talking up there, are you surfing on your phone and looking at stuff? Or you, are you engaged? Does it look like the Word of God matters? When we sing praise to God, is that like a, oh, this song, oh, I like this song, oh, next song, whatever. Like, is it genuine? Is it earnestly, I seek you, my soul thirsts for you? Or is it, whatever. There is a privilege for us as the witnesses of God's glory, and God has made us the reflection of Him. And so worship is showing and demonstrating what God has done and who He is. You see it when you go to Revelation and you get a picture into the window of heaven, and there is uh, singing around the throne about the worthiness of God, about the glory of God, about His greatness, and it is declared out loud so that You think it's a question in heaven? Is God great? Is God glorious? It's not like we're settling a question, but we're giving reflection of it. He's the point, and we're reflecting Him as we give Him praise. And so there's a lot of that. Uh, Psalm 66, shout for joy to the Lord. Say to God, your name is great. Say to God. We get to speak to God in worship. We reflect back to Him who He is. Psalm 96, declare His glory among the nations. Say among the nations, our God is great. Right? Declare his name. Psalm 121, uh, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. I will lift up my eyes. That's how I declare him in worship. Now, I want to, we don't have a ton of time, but I want to go to 2 Chronicles 20, because I don't know, this is another way to talk about reflecting the glory of God. So go with me to 2 Chronicles 20, because this is not a, Typical story for Sunday school, but it's powerful. And uh, what I'm going to try to do is just read a lot of it to you because I don't know that I, I invited you last week to read this, but I don't know that anybody did. So I'm going to read some of it to you about the story and, and about the role that worship plays in this story. Okay? So chapter 20, uh, the king is named Jehoshaphat. It says, After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites with some of the Uh, Munites came to make war on Jehoshaphat. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the sea. It is already in Hazazan Tamar, that is in En Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. So, Crisis. There's going to be a war. There's armies that are stacked up against Israel. More than one nation coming against Israel. And Jehoshaphat's answer to that is, quick, let's get a good strategy. Let's get all of our arms. Let's do the best we can. No, his strategy is, let's seek the Lord. And how are we going to do that? We're going to stop eating 
Because we're not going to we're not going to prioritize our bodies. We're going to prioritize this connection with God. And so we're calling all of Judah together, and we're going to set aside food, and we're going to take all of our focus and all of our energy and pour it out before the Lord because this crisis is so big. Foolish thing to do before a battle, wouldn't you say? No preparation, no eating. (laughs) Foolish thing to do. But the Bible presents it as the right thing and the wise thing. So they all come together. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. O our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before the people of Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They've lived in it, building it a sanctuary for your name saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and save us. Okay, we see worship there. What's what's he doing that's worshipful? I mean, obviously he's praying, but what's he doing? So God, you brought us here. You drove out the nations before us. We built this temple on purpose so that when trouble came, what was way too big for us, we already decided what we were going to do. We're going to come right here and say, God, you have put your name on us and for your name's sake, save us. Not because of us, because of you. Make your name great. Show them. We're going to reflect you by saying we, our trust is in the Lord. And then we're going to let you save us and so you get the glory. Right? So there's a worship, there's an adoration, there's an acknowledgement. So then he pours out, but now here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who are, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. Go back into uh, Exodus and you can see that story. And so they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of possession. You gave us as an inheritance. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that's attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. We have no answers. Here we are. God save us. All the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaniah, son of Jael, son of Mataniah, a Levite and descendant of Asaph, wrote a lot of psalms, as he stood in the assembly. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle Take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. All right, so you've got, we seek you, Lord, and here comes the word of God. I will fight this battle, and specifically, you will not have to fight. I will fight for you. All right, so what happens? Verse 18, Jehoshaphat bowed with his face to the ground. All the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Then some of the Levites from the Kohathites and the Koralites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. So they responded to this promise of God, not the deliverance, 
the promise of God of deliverance with worship. It was there. They fell on their face before the Lord and they began to praise. And some of the people who were good at music stood up and they expressed this praise to God that was from the heart of Israel. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to us, that you would speak this word to be concerned. Don't be discouraged. Don't be afraid. Don't let them defeat you in your mind because God is going to fight this battle for you. Trust in me and walk out tomorrow. No battle plan except trusting God. Has there been times in your life where you had to walk out into the battle with no battle plan except, I don't know what's going to happen, but God's going to be in it. Conversations or situations, job situations, family situations, doctor situations. I don't know what's happening, but the battle is the Lord, so my trust is in Him. And that stirs up worship, right? All right, so now the next day, they've had this promise from God. They've had this worship service the night before. What do they do? Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. You see that? So here's the battle that is the Lord's. What do we want? We want everybody to know this is God fighting. I want nobody to mistake that just because we're an army marching out that this is anything about us. This is God. So I'm going to put people in front who are going to declare that this is God. Give thanks to the Lord for His love endures forever. And they're singing this song as they march into battle. A weird thing to sing, His love endures forever as you're marching into battle. But what do they want? They want everybody to know God is the one doing this, not us. And so the choir is the lead of the whole army. And verse 22, what happens? As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The men of Ammon and Moab rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. Did God get praise? Is there a reflection of the greatness of God in that, that I will lead my army out into battle with worship? And that's the biggest thing they did. They walked and they praised. That's what they did that day. And God took all these armies who were against Israel and set them on each other. And the Bible says that they annihilated each other because God was getting the praise. Sometimes we wonder why God's not shaking some things loose and nothing's happening, nothing's going forward. Is, could it possibly be that at this moment in that situation that it's still up for grabs who's going to get the credit for it? Is this going to be to the praise of God's name or is this going to be to the credit of some ingenuity or luck or circumstance or whew, that, was, that was close? Or is it a testimony that give thanks to the Lord for His love endures forever? Right? I think if the people of God would give the praise to God, we would see the power of God in ways we haven't even imagined. And I'm going to say for us as a church, and it's one of the reasons I wanted to do this on Wednesday night, and even though you know, there's only 20 of us here, who cares? I, I wish 250 people were here because this is for everybody. The reality is for us, our power is going to come from whether God gets the glory or not, whether he's lifted up or not. And if we want God to do a big time work in our city, in our communities, in our families, in our friends, in our church, 
then it's got to be about giving God praise. And the way that we do that, primarily, worship. That's what we do. Yes. That God was enthroned upon the praises of those people overseeing what was going yeah. there, There's no question about the fact that this story is told to give us the picture that the willingness to worship out loud, praising God explicitly, to put faith in God. You think those musicians, I've known a few musicians in my life, you think those musicians were the best fighters out front there? How hard do you think they had to convince them to walk out front? You know what I mean? Like, I got my, my lyre here. You know, I got my harp going. Uh, you want me out front into the battle? Faith is what it is. Walking by faith and expressing that faith. And just like Ken said, it's hard to see, because this is what God does. It's hard to see a time where I give in worship and I do not receive more than I give, right? So they gave God praise. They walked in faith. They put their lives in his hands, right? Verse 24. When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked toward the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder, and they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing and also articles of value, more than they could carry away. There was so much plunder, it took three days to collect it. So not only did God save them, then God paid them. But who gets all this glory? There's no question that, that when they go home with that stuff, that they're not saying, yeah, we won the battle, and I, so I grabbed this stuff. If they did, they're a liar. When you go home with that stuff, you go, you're not going to believe what happened. We went out singing praise to God, and God's power showed up in a way that we could not have imagined. And because we were willing to give God praise, I came home with all this stuff. It took us three days to collect all this stuff. Can you believe what God did? Because God is good, and God is great, and God is faithful, and He won't let His name be destroyed. Yep. And they did this. And these people down here in this place were killing each other and they didn't know it until they got there and saw them dead. Yeah. Which to me is a huge challenge because it feels easier to praise God when you see him working on your behalf. Yes. But they were called to be obedient in that without Good point. So the, the picture we get is that they are singing praise and marching towards a battle that's already ongoing and they don't see it. But they, they are believing as they go. They are singing as they go. And as they get there, as they come to the place where they see, they look down, battle's over. It's just time to collect the stuff. Like, that has such power for us as far as worship goes. We like to worship when the promise has been realized. But these guys were called to worship when the promise had been given, marching off into a battle they weren't prepared for, simply trusting that God had said to march off into it. They didn't know that God was already at work. They couldn't see it from where they were, 
right? Sometimes when you're standing here worshiping with us, trying to give those burdens to the God's already at work. You don't see it yet. But will, do you, will you wait for the realization of it in order to give God praise? Or will you praise Him by faith just for the promise? Do we already have the promise? Will we praise Him just for the promise? Because that's, that's how God gets glory, is that I, I know Him so well and I trust Him so well that the promise is all I need. Because it's as good as done. Because He said it. Right. Yep. Yep. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, verse 27, Then led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned joyfully to Jerusalem, for the Lord had given them cause to rejoice over their enemy. They entered Jerusalem and went to the temple of the Lord with harps and lutes and trumpets. And the fear of God came on all the kingdoms in the countries when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. Whew. Kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for his God had given him rest on every side. God's name had been made great because the people of God acted like God was faithful and true and that God's word was enough for them. And so they marched forward into a battle that they could not win, but God was already winning as they were singing. They had no idea that they were praising him for what he was already doing. They thought they were praising him for what he had promised to do. Praise and worship for us is one of the big, big keys to our witness, to sharing that God is the answer. We declare salvation. We declare that our dependence on God, a living, breathing relationship with Him, that this is alive and real. This is not about something that happened 2,000 years ago. This is about what God is doing right now in my life. What's happening for me and for His, his children all over this world, that His name is being made great. And the deep power of worship for you and I in a practical way is simply this. Worship will take your eyes off of the problem and put it on the solution. Because the battle looked like the problem, but the battle is not where their eyes needed to be. Their eyes needed to be on the solution, right? And for us as people of God, we have to act like God is God. Like God is great, that His mercy endures forever, that He is worthy of thanks and praise and honor that he always comes through, my God always comes through and never fails, that he holds nothing back from those who love him, but always does what is right and is good because he is faithful, not because we are faithful, but because he is faithful. And then when we start acting like that, 
That's more powerful of a testimony than, than having some protest about some law and some you know, moral darkness out there in our world or whatever. Man, be, we don't need to, to, to shake our fingers at people in darkness. We need to bring a light. And I doubt very much that they see a lot of light in the, the condemnation and the, and the accusations and the demeaning and all that. I doubt very much that our world is capable of seeing light in that. I think what they need to see is that God is great. And, and if they would come to know him, if they would put their faith in him and trust, God will change them. But I don't need them changed to abide some God-fearing laws. I need them changed by knowing God who is to be feared. And in that, there's a solution. So. Yes. Now, is that the truth or what? But Jesus said in the New Testament, here's how men will know your mind. Right? So the, there, are, there are things that only God can do in people. And if God brings a circumstance into your life that is hard and, and, and humanly speaking in a, in, a, in a human realm is unfair and awful and, and devastating, the challenge is for us to make God known in it that God is greater, that his love is better than life, right? That his name is the one to be praised. And that that whole testimony is transformational. It's supernatural. But we fail to give it because we, in those moments, live like the rest of the world. Oh, no, what are we going to do? I don't know what to do. I don't know what God is doing, as if I ever did. Like, how many times have you said, I don't know what God's doing? Do you think you ever did? We don't know. We, I don't trust him because I know what he's doing. I trust him because he's him. Amen. Right? So that's the essence of worship is recognizing that God is God and I want him to be known. I will reflect him. I will respond to what he has given, what he has done, who he is. And I will be a testimony of a God who is great in whatever way I can to a world that needs to know that. That's what worship is. All right, we could talk about this for years and years and years, and we will be living it out as a church um, over week by week. You know, as long as God gives us on this earth, we will be living out the opportunity to grow and learn in worship. And I trust that that's something that will be a passion for you. If you if this is a place where you want to see more, dive into the book of Psalms, and you'll see a lot of patterns in there. Um, there are lots of passages. Hebrews is a great book that describes how New Testament worship is connected to Old Testament worship. You can go back into Exodus and you can read through Deuteronomy. And there, you know, the, the, the descriptions in Leviticus, uh, hard to read sometimes, but there's pictures in there about worship, about why we do what we do. Um, but Psalms is the place to start because it's the songbook. It's when they got together to sing. This is what they sang about. Um, and you can be challenged and you can grow in your worship of God. Uh, in that ministry, that, that privileged ministry God gives us before the Lord.